Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. I'll be sitting down with some phenomenal women to discuss love. I believe we grew distant out of love of some type, like, I don't want to hurt you. Loss. Really don't know what's going to trigger that feeling of grief in any moment. And a topic very important to my work, self-care. Freedom is self-care. It's not about pedicures. It's not about clothing. It's not about trips. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Today on the show, I'm speaking with a friend of mine. Her name is Sophia Rowe. She is a light in this world, and I absolutely love her. We always have the best conversations. So I figured it was only right to have her on the very last episode of 2018. This is Sophia's story. Hey, girl. Sophia, we are doing this. (laughs) I know. I'm so excited. I would love for you to give the Hey Girl listeners a little bit of info about who you are and what you do. Awesome. So I am a chef by trade, first and foremost, but I'm also, I I feel like I'm a resource for people, whether it be trauma-related, whether it be health stuff, whether it be sustainability, what I mean, it's kind of my job to keep learning. Mm -hmm. So I really like just like call myself a chef and a resource to people. I love that. So I want to just chat with you today about a little bit of everything, your passion for food, your upbringing and how you've um, grown from the trauma and your experience and what all of that has taught you about community and sharing yourself and your story and not living in silence. So let's start from your love of food. When did you decide that food was where you wanted to build your career? Well, I, you know, food for me started super young. It is sort of the, I did, I, so I grew up without uh, a father figure. I, my father died before I could meet him. And my mom, uh, my mom to this day is a substance abuser. So I really was kind of, I saw a lot of really like wild kind of stuff mm-hmm. when I was growing up because my mom was young, you know, she was 19 when she had me and she was just partying and doing her thing. And I think that um, some of the best bonding moments I had with my mom were food. So she didn't cook much. She didn't cook often. And when she did, it was like a grilled cheese and like some pasta, right? It's mm-hmm. like real basic. But um, I, I watched her really intently and it was sort of like the one time I saw her doing something that felt to me like mothering you know, like mm-hmm. she never really put me to bed. You know, I mean, sometimes I don't, I, it really has very vague memories of even like showering. Like I remember like kind of bathing myself and mm-hmm. like putting myself to bed whenever I got tired. But I do remember the feeling how good it felt for my mom to like put food in a bowl for me and give it to me with a fork. Mm-hmm. That was like real solid, you know. And when my mom even, you know, to relate it into sort of story terms, she would come home and she'd be hungover and or she wouldn't feel well and I would make my mom some toast or some tea and the look on her face like oh thank you so much Mm. you know it it was really sort of like wow this is my mom really like loves me when I do this for her and I really love my mom when she does that for me 
so food became a, a really important sort of love language for me extraordinarily early, mm-hmm. very, very early. So my earliest memories. Um, in terms of food for a living, I really didn't know if I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I spent my childhood was pretty tumultuous. Um, I was in college. I was like a music major. I was like a band geek. I had no plans to be to do food. I had to, you know, I tore my ACL. I was horrible at every single math class that had ever lived and has ever been. So I couldn't. So, so I, you know, I lost my scholarship. I flunked out of college and then I, I lied and said I knew how to use a knife to get a job at a Vietnamese restaurant. Wow. <laughs> quickly, quickly found out that I, in fact, do not, did not know how to use a knife. But let me tell you, if you ever want to learn how to use a knife at a Vietnamese restaurant, it's a great place to start. <laughs> so... I did that and that was it for me. I was like, man, I love doing this. I think I can do this. I mean, that was sort of like, I don't even really think I need to go to college. Mm. You know, like I already loved the idea of food. I'd cook for my friends in high school. You know, like it just, it it was really kind of, I don't know, it was kind of something I fell into and then I got obsessed with food. Then Then the pendulum really, really, really swung the complete other direction and I was like, music, what? Friends, what? I just wanted to cook. Mm. So... That's kind of like the beginning of it all. I mean, where it went from there is, is another crazy long story. But I didn't always think I was going to do food, but I've always had a solid, great love language relationship with food, for sure. So for a while, you were a private chef. And yeah. Um, yeah. I do want to dive into that a bit and just explore how that career path in the food industry not only molded you into the woman and in, in, in person and nurturer that you are today, but also taught you about community and self-choosing because you're no longer in that space. And um, I would love to just kind of feel you out about that. And what was that like for you to go shopping for a family wow. and make them these healthy meals for the week, but also it be really kind of rooted in privilege and access that a lot of folks will never be able to experience. Oh, I mean, honestly, I remember at the beginning thinking like, this is, this is cool. Like this is, this is a chef's dream. This is chef. This is where I'm going to make the most money as a chef. Yeah. You know, like, this is amazing. I I get to work for this, this like rich white family who thinks I'm really cool, Mm. you know, (laughs) like, Mm. you know, and like who really loves my food. And, you know, I had done sort of private stuff and catering you know, right after I, I, I'm also a culinary school dropout, which I also think is funny. But after I dropped out of culinary school and I, I was in California and I moved back to Florida, um, I, I started kind of like, hey, I'm this younger girl and I know a lot about food and I know a lot about healthy food. So I sort of became to, you know, became kind of known for that girl that like is going to ride around on her bicycle and like, you know, deliver really healthy, cool meals to the people that can afford them. And the only people that can afford me at the time for like the actual service that I was doing were typically white people or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, that was just, that was just the space. Yeah. And I never felt comfortable, but I needed the money. Like it was just this thing. Like I, I worked in the service industry, Right. you know, I met every nanny was black or brown every butler's black or brown, every valet is black or brown. So in that way, it was just modern day slavery. There's chains. You just can't see them. Mm. You know, like Mm -hmm. we we need the money, you know, you see like uh, nannies taking care of these children. And it's like these these nannies also have their own children. 
you know, and they're, they're at home. And I think that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I just was young and I needed the money. Once I got to New York and I decided I don't want to do restaurant chefing anymore at all. And I wanted to stick with one family. It wasn't soon after maybe a year where I was like, this is not the business for, this is crazy. Like I, I am, these are like my owners. People own me. They, they, I mean, Monday through Friday from, I'm getting text messages at 530 because I forgot to, I forgot to make cupcakes for one of the kids' birthdays, you know? Like, I mean, I was doing things that felt to me like, this is kind of like a mom's job. Like, why am I delivering cupcakes to the, the gluten-free vegan cupcakes to the mm-hmm. elementary school, to mm-hmm. the private school in the Upper West Side? You know, it just, and I kept doing it. I, I kept doing it because it was, I was making great money and, I start, I, you know, after a few years, you start to realize like, man, money doesn't mean anything. If you don't even have time to spend it, if you don't even have, (laughs) if you don't even have, you know, you don't even have time off. I mean, Christmases, Thanksgivings, we were in Montana, we would go, people think that sounds very glamorous, but there's nothing glamorous about making food for 12 people that aren't your family in Montana when it's negative 10 outside. And, you know, you're, and none of the food is your food. Mm. It's their food. Mm. You're making food. You're making they, what they want. None mm. of it was my food, you know? Like, I don't please. Mm. I don't, it was kind of like everything creative about the, the whole idea of me being creative was really kind of out the window because I wasn't even making what I wanted to make. I was making what I was made to make, forced to make, mm. you know, which is like, I mean, what's the point of that? I may as well work in a restaurant. At least I have days off. When, you know? Yeah. So when was enough enough of that? Because you completely shifted. I remember our side right. conversations and you were like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Or I'm getting ready. <laughs> yeah. You know? So when was that shift for you? Like, okay, I, I, can't, I have to choose myself and I have to nurture and mother myself the way that I have been doing mm-hmm. for others for so long. I want to know what that shift looked like for you. Um, it was ugly. Mm. It was really ugly. It was, I mean, as you know, even in our private conversations, it was yeah. a lot of crying. Yeah. A lot of like, this is all I know how to do. I don't know how to do anything else. I only really know how to take care of people, you know? And I think that I sort of lost myself. I wasn't even taking care of myself, like self. Mm. What's that for? <laughs> you know, like there was no, there was, I was completely lost. My entire identity was this family, was the stress of like, making sure they had what they needed and staying late to make sure that this was right. And, and, you know, it, and I just thought I've been doing this for so long. I can't do anything else, but I have to try because I'm actually going to go crazy. Um, I, it really, it, it was like a breaking point, probably one of my uglier ones yeah. um, as an adult, just because I, I was so scared. I, I knew that I had been toying with the idea of going into, um, into clean beauty because for me, every single person in the world was talking about eating for beauty. That was the whole thing. That was like, Oh, I want to, you know, I want to eat to feel good, but I want to eat to look good. And so for me, I was like, well, I really, there's something about this clean beauty thing and being conscious about what's in the products that you're using. That sounded really sexy to me. Mm-hmm. But anytime I talk to anybody about it, well, so if you're a chef, like that's what you do. And I was like, Oh, right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Like right. putting you yeah. back in that box. Yeah. Like this is where you belong. This is what you're good at. And I thought to myself, this looks crazy. I am good at it. It's the one thing I'm so confident about. I never stress about making a meal for somebody. It's going to be good. It's like, just, it's like a, someone who's been playing the piano for 30 years. They don't ever worry that they're going to mess up. It's right. just like a machine. You just got it. Right. 
And, but it's scary when you feel like you've got other things that you, that you're calling to, that you're being called to do. Or that you want to do and you want to play with and explore. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And I'm already smart, you know, and I know what it's like to, I know what it's like to, to have to fail. Yeah. You know, I think that what, what ended up happening was I got, I was so scared to lose something that felt regular. I was loving monotony, you know, Mm. because I grew up in so much trauma and so much strife. And I didn't, one minute we moved, we'd move different apartments. My mom would be with a different guy. I would be in foster care. Then I'd be back with my mom and my mom would be in jail. And I'd be living with my my aunt in London. And then I'd be back. Like it was just so much that it almost felt like I need to be grateful for this. So just be grateful. Are you a social drinker? Do you enjoy wine down Wednesdays with your girlfriends on Zoom after work? Did you have a little bit too much to drink once and woke up with a hangover? Well, Goody's Hangover is more than the natural supplements you've seen before for treating hangovers. With a history rooted in analgesics and putting an end to tough pain, Goody's Hangover has the right formula to stop pain fast and provide a boost of alertness. Goody's Hangover Powder temporarily relieves minor aches and pains due to hangover, headaches, or muscle aches. It also helps restore mental alertness when experiencing fatigue or drowsiness associated with a hangover. It's also easy to use. You can toss it back or mix it with water or any other non-alcoholic beverage of your choice. Goodies understands that you can't afford to let a hangover slow you down. And for a hangover that is real tough, you need real medicine. Now you can have a fun night on Zoom with your girls without worrying about the next morning. Goodies hangovers. Real medicine for real hangovers. Fast relief with a boost of alertness. I recently started wearing a new bra by Third Love, and I absolutely adore it. Did you know that breast shape matters when you're finding a good fit? I didn't. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. I found the Fit Finder quiz really helpful when I was picking out my third love bra. I didn't know I was wearing the wrong size for so long. I think what's really awesome about this is that over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date, and it's actually a pretty fun experience. I answered a few simple questions, and I found my perfect fit in about 60 seconds. Third Love offers more than 70 sizes, which is more sizes than most other brands, including their signature half cup sizes. Not only that, but Third Love is convenient. You can skip the trip to the mall, find your fit with their online fit finder, order, try it on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. What really sold me on Third Love was the 100% fit guarantee. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can return it. And Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. Fit stylists are available every day to help via text, chat, or phone. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. What's not to love? Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering Hey Girl listeners 15% off of your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash heygirl to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash heygirl for 15% off today.
one of my clients, she's trying to make this shift in her career. And she's mm-hmm. like, but then I feel so guilty about trying to make this shift because I'm already set. I have this career. Mm-hmm. I have this salary. I have a nice home. I have a loving partner. And I right. still want more. Like, how dare I? And yep. it's like, we are allowed mm-hmm. to have what we have and still want more and not in a way that is self-indulgent or unhealthy but like okay I want to try something new because I'm allowed to do that and I want to Mm -hmm. exercise my brain muscles and my heart muscle to do something outside of what I've normally been doing outside of being mundane and outside of the monotony of life and giving yourself the permission to do that and not feel guilty that's I, I, we've all been there, right? But it's right. just so interesting to hear folks start to say it out loud. It's a really weird. I mean, I, I now I feel like it's it's an insult to to the pain of of our entire ancestry for me not to do it, right? And that's that's totally how I feel now. Like the idea that what what was all that for? For me to what just stick with what I know for? and not try yeah, it again. Yeah. yeah. That's, they'd be so disappointed in me mm. if I didn't put my foot down and demand exactly what I wanted. Because I guarantee if they had that freedom, they would have done that too. Yep. They would have done that too. And that's what so much sacrifice to this point has, has been made for, is for me to be in a situation like mine and say, you know what? More is more. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I mean, it was a really hard transition. I did it. It was horrible. Like, I, look, I was happy. I, I ended up, like, again, just lucking into a crazy weird job. However, it was a job I knew nothing about. I never worked in an office before. A beauty company? I, I can't think of anybody more unqualified yeah. for that particular job, yeah. you know? And um, I remember getting bullied at, at, in the job, you know? I mean, I remember it, it was not a pleasant experience. It wasn't like what I thought. I mean, I was happy in a, in a creative space. So I was able to exercise a different muscle, but it was not in any way, shape, or form what I expected it to be. But what it did do is it did prepare me and ready me for the idea that I can still do things that feel scary and succeed just because I did it. You've already, mm. I've already succeeded because I did it. Yep. <laughs> Whether it was like, you know, a good day or a bad day, I'm here doing it. Like that, that for me was a really special thing. I mean, I had major imposter syndrome, heavy, heavy, the worst than I've ever had at that time period, just because I thought like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to, I don't deserve to look good at work. I'm a chef. I'm supposed to look shitty all the time. I'm supposed to be sweaty all the time. You know, I don't deserve a nice outfit to go to work in. You know, like I, I, it was, it was really, I found myself dumbing myself down a lot at work, not talking at work, not speaking up at work. Mm -hmm. You know, it took me almost a year of working at that company for me to be like, you know, I can really actually do all of this and still be a chef. And still be. That was a big moment too. Yeah. And I saw Alex, I remember someone at work saying to me who now we're very actually close with she's like yeah you know so it's fine like you don't need to like you're a chef you know like you're just like everybody here knows that you're like not like totally serious like you're not gonna like do this for your career so like it's fine and I remember being like okay but like am I still a chef like I was so I was like well this person just told me I was crappy at my job And now I don't even make food anymore. Mm. So what am I even, what is my life? (laughs) What did I do? I made the biggest mistake. Remember walking out and walking all the way from the west side of New York City to the, to Bowery, to the Lower East Side Whole Foods, buying the most expensive piece of fish, the most expensive 
expensive bottle of wine than I could, I could afford. And I couldn't really afford much then because I, you know, taking so much less money, mm-hmm. starting over basically mm-hmm. at like 28 years old. And I went home and I made myself the sexiest, most amazing meal for one to remind myself that yep. I do know, in fact, what I'm doing. Yep. And I do know how to feed myself. And food is not just what you eat, you know. Mm. So I just had to sort of re, like, I just needed to restart, press the restart button on my, on my confidence, you know. So I love, I love that. I remember you telling me that story. And it just oh, yeah. reminded <laughs> me of how kick-ass you are and, like, <laughs> Okay, yeah, I feel like this, but I'm going to just remind myself who's the boss, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and also, it gives us this sense like what like if we're able to soothe ourselves in that manner, that is where we learn what self-love is. You didn't, you know, go home and, and loathe about it. I mean, there have been plenty of days where I think yeah. both of us have gone home and lo- <laughs> yeah. like just been in self-loathing. But instead, it's like you pull yourself up, you go get your fish, you go get your wine, you go in your kitchen and you have your meditative process of cooking and feeding yourself and mothering yourself and nurturing yourself the way you know how to do it and reminding like I can be this and still be that. I can totally. have that and still have this and just every living time. in that. Yeah. Every time and living in mm-hmm. that duality and in that truth, because oftentimes as women, we're put in these boxes and it's like, if we even put a thumb outside of the box, it's like, oh, I'm an imposter. Yeah. Who am I? I belong oh. in this box. You know, totally. Uh huh. it's really, it's real. And it's a real, it's a real life cage that we, that you can viscerally and physically feel sometimes yeah. if you let yourself be in it. It's like, it's a really crazy thing. I mean, I literally remember the feeling of like I wake up short of breath even like mm-hmm. I wasn't even letting, you know, like I, I wasn't even letting myself fully like expand. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and so I think that that to me is the closest I've ever had to like a panic attack. Yeah. You know, like that idea that like, this is, what is this life? Is this even me? Mm. Is this even, you know? And I think that that's just how crazy you can make yourself trying to do something that is not, that it's just you're you've outgrown it's like the idea of like walking around with pants on that are too tight why would you do that <laughs> right you would just right? you just take them you, you get bigger pants and yeah. that's the idea like mm. this comfort tea is it's for everybody we all need to drink it sometimes because that's just how you grow growth is uncomfortable there's no like you don't feel good when you're growing it doesn't ever feel good right uh, but it's it's inevitable and the, the longer you walk around in, in the clothes that don't fit the more you're gonna you're not gonna be able to breathe <laughs> right you know, right. so to be able to sort of spiritually take my shirt off in a lot of ways <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. be like, all right, mm-hmm. you know, actually no one in this makeup company is saving lives. You mm-hmm. know, n- none of this is even like that. It's mm-hmm. not even that serious. Mm-hmm. And I still have a trade. I have a trade. I have something that I, that is, that belongs to me that I, that I own, mm-hmm. um, that has always meant something to me. And that doesn't go away just because I'm not cooking food for people. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Right. Um, to switch gears a little sure. bit, I want to talk with you about, we, and we've had this side conversation before, but about suffering and yeah. choosing what to do with the suffering that we have and not silence it. And I think that just goes back to learning how to self-soothe and in that finding the deepest, most radical love for your being and not not expecting that your feelings are going to be hurt or that your heart's you know, not going to be broken, but more so like when that happens, if that happens, 
here is my toolbox of things that I can put my I can start putting myself back together with. So with the type of childhood that you had and now the life that you have as an adult woman, how have you learned from your suffering through your mom, through the absence of your father, and also through just finding your way as someone who's kind of been in on her own for a long time? Yeah, you know, Alex, the thing about suffering is um, I think there's this, there's this whole thing in the wellness community that's this apex as if being well or feeling good is like a, it's like a place that you, you're trying to get to. And once you get to it, you're there. Mm-hmm. You've arrived. You've arrived at the ultimate uh, suffer, suffering-free, sorrow-free sort of place. Right. I have an excellent relationship with my pain. I feel it every single day. And I'm, I'm the happiest person that anybody knows. I think that that for me is the ultimate, it's the ultimate way for me to prove to myself I'm a survivor. Mm. So I, 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 I welcome it. And I think that it would be a lot more people would walk around feeling a lot better about themselves if they understood that like that whole like pain that you feel like it's okay. You're, 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 you're good. You're not unwell. You're not off track. You're not, you know, um, never going to be, uh, healthy. I think there's this idea that you're supposed to just not feel bad feelings, mm-hmm. that they just disappear, that one day you get to a place where you just feel good all the time. And that's a lie I told myself for a, for a long time. Um, I, there's a really beautiful thing in daily overcome. You know, every day I wake up and I have a thought or a memory or something pops into my mind that was a really sorrowful or suffering hard traumatic like debilitating moment and then I'm like oh but why look at my where I live you know Mm -hmm. let me like snap myself back but but all those things happen and here I am I am totally here you know even if it's just me looking in the mirror and being like so it's really it's a really strong special thing to be able to look in the mirror and be like man I've been through all that stuff that that, all that stuff back there Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and I'm looking in the mirror right here and I'm looking in front of me up there mm. you know I yeah. just I, I just make it my biggest thing to like really really dive into the back there's and the up there's mm. and I really heavily separate those two things that's like a huge journal thing that I started in November was all the stuff that's back there write it down and all the stuff that's up there write it down and really look at those two things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're, they're different, you know, and the compasses that a lot of us were born with, they're broken. You don't have to keep holding on to them. It's like, throw you, it's okay yeah. to throw away a broken compass and yeah. get yourself a new one. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times, I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of people in the wellness community that, that don't like the way that I talk about suffering. Oh yeah. They don't Same. like how <laughs> <laughs> they don't like it. They're like, well, you got to have a positive thing at the at the end or you go I don't I don't the story's not good right but but I'm and the story's not that. over and the story's it's not over that's what I mean I guess that's the point like wait a second yeah <laughs> like it's an anecdote baby this isn't I'm, I'm not wearing this pain like a jacket this is socks we take them on and off mm-hmm. like you know like you if your pain at your feet is never going to affect you like it is if you wear it like a jacket you know like I don't I don't know why We're obsessed with only feelings that feel good. Right. I don't really teach you anything. All the feel bad feelings make feeling good feel really good.
My morning routine normally consists of trying to get up a little early before the kids, getting my self-care silence in, drinking a cup of coffee or tea, and washing my face and just having a moment. There are a lot of great ways to start your day. Maybe you eat a nice healthy breakfast or meditate. But what about starting with making up your bed? Now, that doesn't really work for me because my husband is not up when I'm up. But when you make your bed in the morning, it starts a chain of daily successes. And I know this because when we are up together and we do make our beds right upon rising, I feel like the day does get off to a fresh start. What I love most about Brooklyn in Sheets is that I am more excited to walk in the room and see a freshly made bed with their beautiful sheets and offerings on them. The high quality sheets are great and at a low price. Their sheets are soft and well made, which you can't beat. And for the price, it is wonderful quality. Brooklyn in was the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers and directly with customers. No middlemen, just great product and service. They offer all luxury products without the luxury markup. Brooklinen also offers a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials for your lounging needs, like their classic cool and crisp, timeless with a matte finish, luxe sateen, buttery, smooth cotton sheets, or my favorite, the linen, which is airy and effortlessly chic, made with the highest quality flax in the world. Needless to say, Brooklinen sheets are the perfect place to start making your mornings great. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their bedding comes with a lifetime warranty. So get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use promo code HeyGirl only at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. Again, that's promo code HeyGirl only at brooklinen.com for 10% off your first order. Do you love discovering new products? Are you a beauty and fashion maven constantly on the hunt for the next best thing? Ever read about or spot something online that you've always wanted to try but never have? Then you might love FabFitFun. It allows women everywhere to discover new products as well as including rave review and must-have brands that you know and love. It's like Christmas four times a year. Stumped on gift ideas? FabFitFun is also a great gift for someone you love. You can surprise your mom or sister with this awesome summer box packed with great items. Do you have a daughter who's going to college, maybe, or a friend who's a new mom? FabFitFun is an awesome care package. My last box came with this beautiful lotus towel. It was blue, and it's shaped like the flower, and it has a gorgeous design in the middle. That's something we've been laying out on the deck and relaxing on for a few weeks now. So what I love about FabFitFun is that they offer full-size products, no samples of anything. Every box is guaranteed to have over $200 plus in retail value. The summer 2019 box has a total retail value between $269 to $467. That's fantastic. Treat yourself with items in it, such as the Sutra Professional Mini Travel Blow Dryer, the beautiful Vicks Paula Lotus Towel, or the West Elm Indigo Tie-Dye Bowls. Many of the products' individual value is more than the entire cost of the box. You can customize your box by choosing some products and some add-ons with each one. Or you can be surprised. It's great for discovering new brands and new products. What a better way to shop. I'm looking forward to my next box because they're always so different and packed with things I can actually use. I like to share the items in my box with my 11-year-old. She's really into skincare these days. We recently got a clay mask 
and a foot mask and a body scrub. She loves them all. The FabFitFun 2019 Summer Box is on sale now. So sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out. You can use my code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first box. All you have to do is go to FabFitFun to sign up and get started. Use promo code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com and use my code HEYGIRL to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. There is light after all the darkness. And that's something I've been talking with my clients about recently is, yes, address your fears, but also, yes, address the possibilities. So we'll do a T-chart where there's fear on the left and possibility on the right. And we look at everything in the face for face value, right? It's like, okay, yeah, I'm scared to death of this. My past has traumatized me. I was Mm -hmm. abused as a kid. I was, you know, neglected as a kid. I was all these things. I was left behind. I'm scared of being left behind now as an adult. All these fears, right? And then, okay, how do you change those fears? And and not even change those fears. How do you address those fears and say, but, and this is still possible. But I am still, you know what I mean? And that and still, girl, it's a life changer. (laughs) It really is. And there's no. It really is. And there's no right or wrong way to walk alongside your suffering. And the goal, I always tell my, I, I tell my clients and I tell myself, the goal isn't to silence the suffering. The goal is to address it and say, hey, if you want to sit right next to me, you can, but you're not about to you know, take charge on this drive. And I'm going to oh, address yeah. you and I'll talk to you and I will look you in the face, but you're not going to ruin my life. And oh. for so long, I walked through life that way just feeling like I was always going to be scared and rejected and mistreated and not good enough and not brave enough and it's like okay that's your suffering talking what is the truth what do you know to be true and the truth is addressing the suffering for what it is and then walking with it and saying and still I'm deserving and still I'm worthy and I yeah I might be scared but I'm also still resilient still I love that word still I mean look we all have we're all a book right and the crazy thing about it is the book has got so many empty pages because we're still living right for some reason we love to just bookmark those really yucky pages right we keep it in I mean like watermarks and we've got bent edges and we just man like you know it's <laughs> like we eat over we eat over those nasty areas of the book mm. every night every day we just wake up and go to that same, same page. few pages yeah. that just doesn't feel good. Yeah. It's like, I, I feel like it's, you know what? It's, it's 2018, 2019. This book is not done. Mm-hmm. This book is not done. And I, I just feel like it's great. I really love living, living right next to the page that's not written yet, mm. you know? And I, and I love going back and flipping through some of the things that I've been through that solidify me as a survivor. But now I'm thriving, right? Because yep. I, I, I don't even know what tomorrow is. Right. So I think that it's okay to, it's okay to not try to block all that stuff. I think that that's the suppression. That's the dangerous game to play that yeah. I feel like a lot of people are doing. They're trying, oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I, I'm like, yeah, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a way easier game to sort of open up and say, like you said, these are my fears. This is my, I love that place. Yeah. Because the whole idea of 
pretending like it didn't happen and pretending like you're fine, that is a slippery slope. Yeah. And you it's know? dangerous. And it's, it's dangerous. And it it's, is dangerous. it's emotionally dangerous for yeah. our well-being and our self-care. It just it, it just is. And totally. in the work that I do and in the work that we do, I think it's super important that we're not only sharing the glory, but we're also sharing the stuff that knocked us to the ground and Every how day. we're getting through mm-hmm. it and how we're getting up again. Because there are moments when, yeah, we'll have a great stretch of weeks and then something yeah. will come and punch us in the stomach. And then we have to learn how to lean into picking ourselves back up again so we can mm-hmm. feel what that long stretch of happiness was like again. Because we can't do oh. that on the ground. We just can't. No, so no, you really can't. So with all of that said, what are you learning about your self-care practice that you need when it comes to standing in your strength, being a survivor, and still understanding that the story isn't over and that you're a work in progress? I need, I need solitude. Big difference between solitude and lonely. Mm-hmm. I really need it. I really need it, and I've, I've honored it more at, 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 this, at my age now than I ever have before. Um, it's very important for me to give myself space. And I don't mean like people say, oh, like, you know, you don't go out with your friends one night or, like, right. you don't call people. Like, I mean, like, you put the phone away for days, for days even. And I just do exactly what I'm, what I'm being called to do. If that means I'm just buying myself plants and repotting all my plants and de- redecorating my house and, you know, like, that's what I do. Like, I do whatever feels like nurture to me. And for me, that usually means things I do for other people. Mm. So I'll take three days out of a month and do everything that I do for everybody else for me Mm. and not, and literally not for anybody else, like for me, you know? And I think that the, the, a lot of people, I get that they don't have the luxury of being able to do that. But when I say that to people, like, what do you do for your kids? What do you know? What do you do for people? Like, do you do that for yourself? You know, like uh, I was talking to my mom friend and she folds her daughter's clothes just right, but she just throws hers in her room. Mm. You know, I'm like, well, maybe you just, you know, <laughs> it's okay to like really, you know, you you use all this special stuff and you rub your daughter down with this special lotion and this special oil and do her hair all nice and cute. But like, do you do that for you? Mm. You know, I just feel like for me that the, the biggest thing I try to tell myself, like try to teach myself and make myself honor self-care wise is, making sure that whatever I do for someone else that I do for myself as well, because I, I, I lose myself real easy. I, I have a servant's heart, right? The one thing I know what to do is take care of people. I know I can do that. It's right. been, I spent my whole life doing it. Mm. So I think that I need to make sure that I practice that. And a lot of people say that's a bubble bath or a face mask. I'm talking basics. Yeah. Same. Basic basic level stuff like why do I always fold my partner's laundry and not my laundry you know like those simple simple things why do I always make sure that my partner eats first Mm. why is it so bombastic for me to sit down and eat hey kids everybody do your own thing for an hour mommy's gonna sit here and eat and do her thing you told me a story about a client saying that to you can you share that yeah I mean I think that it wasn't even my idea (laughs) this is like 100% her kind of situation, but, you know, she's a mom, she's got 
kids running around. Everybody wants what they want. I want this for dinner. I want that for dinner. And I mean, I know that you know this story, Alice. I do. And what you get is what you get. What you get is what mama cooks. Okay. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But she was just accommodating. And then, you know, husband's like, well, I'm really, I was hoping we, I thought we were going to go out to eat and thought, you know, she's like, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. Mm. I'm like not. And I mean, this isn't like a day thing. She puts the foot down and says, look, mommy is eating alone. I don't care what y'all do. I'm, I eat alone every day. Mm-hmm. And that is so bombastic for people. Well, it's a family. You need to be there. Look, in order for me to be a good mom, I've got to be good. I got to be good to myself. Mm. And I mean, for me, I, I, I'm not a mother. I, you know, so deeply that I crave to be and will be one day. But uh, that meant so much to me because, man, I can't think of anything more more selfless and more important than being a mom. Mm-hmm. And even for me, I was like, "Whoa, that's kind of wow, that's radical." <laughs> when she said that, but I'm like, "Wait a minute, what's the what's the difference between, you know, do for me? Like, what's the difference even if you don't have kids and you're just with a partner?" Mm-hmm. So many women are are sort of it's inbred in us to just do for people, yeah, do for others. And I don't, I'm not saying we all need to walk around being selfish jerks, but I am saying that. It is so simple, those tiny little things that you do for people. It's so simple to also do that for yourself. You pick up your boyfriend's dry cleaning. Well, go, go, you know what I mean? Yeah. He, can, he, he, he can get his dry cleaning. Yeah. You don't need to do that for him all the time. You know, <laughs> like pick up your own dry cleaning. Mm. Do your own stuff. And I think that that for me is my biggest, my, my biggest self-care situation because I just, that sliding slope for me, man. I will fall into only taking care of other people quick. Mm quick because it's just what I know I just know how to take care of people so I I tell people all the time don't be ashamed if you if self-care is a struggle for you right if you struggle with that that's that's okay that that just means you care that just means you care about people and I feel like any look when you lead with humans that's never bad (laughs) like leading with humans first is great Mm -hmm. but you're also a human right so you know you have to honor yourself as a human as well Mm. That's big. So that's, so. My, that's my self-care. Yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap up, you mentioned that you wanted to be, that you so desperately and just want to be a mama yourself. Yeah, I do. Um, what has your childhood and your mothering others taught you about the type of mother that you're going to be one day? You know, um, my mom, she taught me exactly what not to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. still pretty armed in, in, in that in that space and in that regard. I, I want to make it really clear. You know, I had a I had a horrible mom. She's still my mom is a, my mom is an addict because she's sick. Mm-hmm. But my mom is my greatest inspiration, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for her. Right. My mom, it, it, with as nasty and as terrible as she was, really um, created a kid who wants to fe- wants to make everybody feel the exact opposite as she made me feel. Yeah. Um, so I think that has sort of got me pretty armed with, with that I can be a good mom. It used to be, I, I looked at that really unhealthy. I used to be like, well, I mean, I don't know if I'll be a good mom because my mom was a bad mom. I bet I'll be a bad mom too. Mm. You know, I used to receive it sort of like that. Yeah, and I I think now I I realize that I I mother like eighty thousand people on Instagram every day, <laughs> you know. Like I'm, you know, I think that the idea of me like mothering is 
I was looking at it wrong, you know, and I think the idea of mothering is being perfect and knowing all the answers. And I don't really think about it like that anymore. It's just a journey. It's just another mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. I've taken myself down a million. I'll continue to take myself down a million. And me being a mom means I'll make mistakes, but I'll also have triumphs. I feel like that's every woman's situation with being a mom. Yeah. Um, but I think I also just sort of relish in the idea of, um, creating a, a space for a person that feels, that feels really free. You know, mm-hmm. I never, I never felt free as a kid. I was the most anxious, nervous, scared kid. Mm-hmm. And I just, the, the most exciting thing in the world for me is to be able to have a, have a space for a kid that they are just allowed to, they don't have to be nervous. They don't have to like walk around scared. Yeah. They don't have to do those things, you know, like I, I, I really am super, super excited to be able to do that. It doesn't have to be my own child from my own belly. It can be an adopted situation. I'm totally, I mean, I'm like one of those people who would adopt a 10 year old, you know, mm-hmm. like for me, it's just, it's really just about being able to take that sort of already servant's heart that I have and just expand on it mm-hmm. in my own home, you know? You're so amazing. <laughs> you are. I mean, look, I mean, I, not everybody, look, there's a lot of power in, in making a claim and saying, I don't want to be a mom or I do want to be a mom. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely do. Um, and it's, I mean, kind of sooner rather than later, but whatever, we'll take it when we get it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, like that's, that's, that's just my story, my narrative with, when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, that's probably the only thing I think of that I, that I don't openly, openly, openly share everything yeah. else. I'm really, really, really open about, but I, it's, it's even for me who who keeps myself open book and talks about some of the hardest things I've ever experienced, the hardest tragedies I've ever experienced. I'm still, I'm still blossoming. I'm still getting to where I'm, I'm open about talking about my trials and tribulations when it comes to wanting to have a baby or trying to have a baby, Yeah, you know? And I think that that's part of it too. When you think about self care, it's all about when you're ready, when you're ready. telling your story. It's, it's all, it's, there's no, like, it's not a race, Yep. you know? So my story writes itself in the, in the proper time. Yeah. And I, and look, time's only real when you're baking a cake anyway. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's that. The Hey Girl podcast is a member of the District Productive, produced by Paul, Woody Woodhall, and me, Alex L. Music by DC's own Kokai. Kokai.